Father in heaven, it's been rich so far. You've spoken to us. It's been powerful. We've felt conviction. And we're seeing, Lord, the importance of true conversion in having an effective and meaningful prayer life. And Father, as we look at some of the purposes of prayer, what the point of it is, I pray, dear God, that you would speak to our hearts this afternoon and that you would continue to drive home the importance of prayer in our lives and in the lives of those that we know. So, Father, I pray now that you would speak to us, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I checked my email when I got back to the hotel uh, to go over my notes for this, and I got an email from my wife with this quote, and I thought it just was great, and I wanted to share it with you. It's from the Upward Look, page 375. She sent it to me as an encouragement, but I thought it kind of dovetailed really well with our last presentation on uh, surrender. She says this, God desires us to trust implicitly in Him. And if it is for our good and His name's glory to do the work, it will be done. The work of surrender will be done because it is in accordance with His honor and glory. Ellen White goes on and she says, uh, We are to wait. The power of the Lord is what? Wow, what a promise. The power of the Lord is limitless. We poor mortals need to purify our souls that when the Lord works for us, it will not ruin us. You know, oftentimes when we uh, experience the power of God in our lives, it can be a mean of, means of leading us astray. And that's why she's saying that it might not ruin us when the power of God is manifested in our life. But I really like that one little line right there. The power of the Lord is limitless. When it comes to surrender in our lives, when it comes to answered prayers, the power of the Lord is limitless. What Bible text are we going to memorize? Anybody know where it's found? Has anybody memorized it yet? Still working on it? All right. So uh, tomorrow we'll maybe take a couple of you to come up here and share it. But let's go ahead and read it together now. Jeremiah 33, 3. Let's read it together. Call upon me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Our theme Bible passage, Jeremiah 33, 3. Wonderful text. Spend a little time memorizing it this afternoon. I think there's some free time between the Q&A session this afternoon and dinner. Great time to quiz each other. Get together in groups, sit in a corner, work on it, quiz yourself. Another good way to do Bible memorization is instead of writing the whole verse out, you can take the first letter of each word and write that first letter of each word. So it'll help jog in your memory what that word is without actually looking at the full word itself. This is a, a method of memorization that I use uh, personally. So both ways, you can write it all the way out or just on the back side of the card or back side of the paper, write the first letter of each word for your revision and that will help you retain it in your mind even better. So we're going to do a little quizzing on that tomorrow. There's a story told about a man who, was the, uh, who had the name of Krishna, who was named Krishna. He was a Hindu. 
He had little to no interest in religious things uh, or in Christianity, other than he had no interest in anything other than his religion. And he went over to go spend some time with his family, his brother, I believe it was, and his sister-in-law and their kids, um, for a couple of days. And they were Christians. They were practicing Christians. And each day, Krishna, uh, he had the opportunity to sit through morning and evening worship each day. He didn't really, you know, care too much about this. He didn't care about Christianity. Um, and it was a little bit of a burden to have to sit through this morning and evening devotions, but he did it because he was there visiting his family. The end of his visit came, and Krishna was going to go back to wherever he lived. So the whole family went down to the bus stop with him. Um, and there in the busyness of the bus station, people bustling around and rubbing, uh, rubbing shoulders with each other and the anticipation of getting on the right train and finding, getting there for the, at the right time. They got to the spots. They got to the, to the train. And every, every, as everybody was saying their goodbyes, Krishna's little niece, who was a, raised in a Christian home, she, before her uncle stepped on the train, she grabbed his hand and she said, Uncle Krishna, can I pray for you? She was 10 years old. And he didn't want to offend his little niece, so he said, sure, go ahead. And so she prayed a simple little prayer. The simple little prayer was this, Dear Lord, in the name of Jesus, please keep my Uncle Krishna safe. Amen. Krishna didn't think too much about it. You know, he didn't like this whole Christian thing, and so he just, you know, said goodbye, got on the bus, and, you know, went home. He didn't think too much about it. On the way home, the bus went over some of the more mountainous parts of the region where he lived, and before he knew it, just out of the sudden, out of nowhere, he heard the sound of screeching brakes, blaring horns, the, the, the bus, I think I said it was a train, but it was a bus, the bus jerking to the side, and before he knew it, the bus was tumbling end over end down the side of a cliff. Things were flying everywhere. People were screaming. It was chaos as they were going down this mountainside end over end. There was a tremendous impact at the bottom of the valley and then everything went still. It was deathly quiet. And Krishna looked around at the carnage all around him, the mangled bodies, the, 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 the collapsed bus, bags everywhere blown apart from the impact, and he was the only one alive. Everybody in the bus was dead. And in the eerie quietness at the bottom of the valley, Krishna heard a voice in his mind, the voice of his 10-year-old niece. Dear Lord, in the name of Jesus, please keep my uncle Krishna safe. Amen. He heard that in his mind as he was down there at the bottom of the valley. And he began to ask himself the question, who is this Jesus and what in the world just happened? Well, needless to say, Christian evidently or inevitably 
embraced Christianity because of the prayer of his 10-year-old little niece. Prayer of a child is very powerful. I love listening to my little girl pray in the morning. Dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to be nice to baby brother. Help me to obey mama and papa. Powerful, powerful, listening to the prayer of a little child. My little girl, oftentimes after our prayer, she will say, I want Jesus to come down. <laughs> Beautiful story of the power of God in the life of this man and the prayer of this little girl as she prayed for protection for her uncle, Krishna. In the book, Great Controversy, Ellen White says this, It is a part of God's plan to grant us in answer to the prayer of faith, that which he would not bestow, did we not thus ask? She's simply saying that there are things that God does in our life when we pray that he wouldn't do if we didn't pray, if we didn't ask. And one wonders, what if Krishna's 10-year-old niece had not prayed that little prayer? What would have happened? What would have happened in your life today if you hadn't spent that little time with the Lord this morning in prayer? We don't know. All we can do is theorize. But the servant of the Lord tells us that it's part of God's plan to grant to us an answer to the prayer of faith that which he would not bestow, did we not thus ask. It is important for us to ask God for things in prayer. It's important. There are things that we won't get. There are things that won't happen in our lives if we don't spend that time with God in prayer. Of course, you know this promise here in James chapter 4 and verse 2. Uh, the Bible tells us that ye have not because you what? The Bible says you have not because you ask not. And of course, we know the promise that I was referring to is Luke chapter 11 and verse 9. That's not, I didn't have it on the slide. Ask and it shall be given unto you. So asking is a very important part of prayer. Um, but again, what are, what are the objections? Uh, what are the uh, objectives to prayer? What is the purpose of prayer? That's what I want to look at in our time together this afternoon. The four objectives to prayer. Now, there's probably more than four objectives. I, I, I've just got four. You could probably add more in your own personal study. But I think this will get us pointed in the right direction. So let's look at our first objective. The first objective to prayer, or answering the question, what, what, what's the point of prayer anyways? The first objective to prayer is that burdens might be lifted. That what? That burdens might be lifted. Now, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we all have burdens that we are carrying in our lives. We all have things that we hold close to our heart challenges that we're going through, sins that we are struggling with that nobody knows about. Uh, we all have stresses in our family life that we don't like to publicize. Uh, we all have desires and aspirations for our spiritual life. And it's not quite there yet, and it can be discouraging. It, you know, a lot of us are like Christian in the book Pilgrim's Progress. As he's walking around, carrying that big burden on his back as he comes from the city of destruction, making his way to the celestial city. 
wonderful story. If you've never read the book Pilgrim's Progress, you should read it. It's beautiful. Because it's interesting that Pilgrim, his burden fell off of his back when he met Jesus at the cross. And there's some very significant spiritual implications to that, which we won't take the time to delve into. But nonetheless, we're all carrying burdens as Christian did. Whatever those burdens might be, the Lord wants to lift those burdens as we come to Him in prayer in the morning. He doesn't want us to have to carry those burdens with us throughout our daily life. He doesn't want us to carry those burdens day after day after day. He wants them to be lifted. And how much more effectively will will we be able to work for God if we allow Him to lift the burdens that we are carrying on our back every single morning? Oh, we would be so much more effective if He can lift those burdens, and He wants to. And this is one of the objectives to prayer. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, the Bible says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He what? He careth for you. The, 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 the concept of casting your care upon Him literally means, <clears throat> it literally means to throw upon <clears throat> or to place upon. So it's like you're throwing, you're casting, you're placing all of your cares, your, your burdens, your discouragement, your trials, you're casting them upon Him. He says, I will carry them for you, just give them to me. Casting all of our cares upon Him, for He cares for us. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, of course we know this passage. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and, ye, and I will give you what? I will give you rest, Jesus tells us. So let me illustrate this to you the best way that I know how at this point. There's probably other ways that we could illustrate it, but I'd like to use a Bible story. A story that we're all familiar with. David, the man after God's own heart, had been reigning in uh, his position as king for a good period of time at this point. Um, he, He had done many noble things. And at this point, he had an unfortunate lapse in his better judgment. And you probably know the sin that I'm talking about, the sin of Bathsheba. And there, as David beholds something that he knows he should not behold, that sin begins to uh, uh, push its roots deep down inside of his heart. And the lust for this woman takes the better hold of him. And he does the inevitable. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. And then he has her husband, a good, fine, upstanding man who is fighting in his army. He has him murdered to try to cover up the sin of Bathsheba's pregnancy. Now, you probably also know the the continuing part of the story. David is in his palace. He's sitting on the throne. And the prophet Nathan comes in. I'm thankful for the prophets of the Lord. Amen? The prophet Nathan comes in, and, 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 and this prophet tells David this story about a man who had one sheep. And this man who had one sheep lived in a kingdom with a king that had many sheep. And this king that had many sheep, when he had a visitor come, he went to the man with one sheep, and he took that one sheep and slaughtered it to feed to his visitor instead of killing his sheep. And David, being a shepherd, was indignant that somebody would do this. And he wants to, you know, put this person to death. And then Nathan gives him the punchline. And he, I can almost see it in my, my, my sanctified imagination. He points at David and he says, you are that man. 
And, and David's heart begins to pound. His blood begins to course through his veins. And his mind begins to go very quickly because he thought that this sin had been covered up. And now he's being exposed by the man of God. His sin is laid open. It's shown before him that it's not hidden, but the man of God knows that he has committed this terrible act. And David said unto Nathan, 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13, I have sinned. I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Boy, we serve a merciful Savior, don't we? David deserved to die. He had so much knowledge in his mind. He had so much truth in his mind. He knew what he was doing was wrong, but he went ahead and did it anyways. But the thing I want to emphasize is this. When Nathan pointed to David and he said, you are the man, and revealed that sin in David's life, David did not try to make an excuse for his sin. But what did he say? I've sinned. Don't try to cover up your sins by making excuses. Don't try to come up with some fancy reason for why this has happened because of family, because of heritage, because of culture, because of this, because of that. Put it all to the side and allow yourself to be laid open before God and acknowledge the fact that you are a sinner. David has this burden on him now. The burden of that sin is resting heavily upon him. And in, and, and in Psalms chapter 51, this great psalm that David wrote, there are three things that happen in this psalm, and I just want to take the time to go through it very quickly. Psalms chapter 51, go there with me if you would in your Bibles. It's not on the screen. Psalms, the 51st chapter. Psalms chapter 51. And I want you to notice the progression in this prayer. Remember, we're looking at the objectives to prayer. Objective number one, that burdens might be lifted. At this point, David is being pressed down with the burden and the weight of that sin that he had committed. The sin of adultery, the sin of murder. He's now got that laying on him. The first thing that happens in Psalms chapter 51 in verses 1 through 4 is we find David's plea for forgiveness. Listen to this. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Listen to the language he's using here. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly of mine iniquity. And cleanse me from my what? Cleanse me of my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. It is obvious here that David is pleading for forgiveness. The weight of sin is, is pressing down upon him. And he's beginning his prayer here with this plea. Lord, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly of mine iniquity. Please forgive me of my sin. You know, when I read this prayer of David, I think to myself, we don't know how to pray prayers of confession. 
We just simply say, Lord, please forgive me for my sins. And that's it. We don't understand the hideousness of sin and what it does to our relationship with God. We did a, the, the evening devotional did a good thing last night of, of describing the price and the consequence of sin. But David goes on. The prayer doesn't end there. He doesn't just stop with this weight of sin resting upon him. But it moves on in Psalms chapter 51, verses 7 and 10 through 12. And now it goes on from a plea for forgiveness to a plea for cleansing. Listen to this. Psalms chapter 51, verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Ten, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me. Something had been taken away. Now he says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Plea for cleansing. So he acknowledges his sin. He tells the Lord that he is full of iniquity, that he is full of sin. But then he, play, he pleads for cleansing. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. He's asking for God to remove that sin away from him. In your notes, you can write down Ezekiel 36, 26. That's, God, that's God's answer to David's prayer. Can read that another time. Ezekiel 36, 26. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart, give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You shall keep my judgments and do them. That's God's answer to David's prayer here to create in me a clean heart. This is a good thing for us to use in our prayer time as we're confessing for God or to God our sins. And we're praying this prayer of David in Psalms chapter 51 to create in me a clean heart. We can claim that promise in Ezekiel 36, 26, that he will give us a new heart. That he will do exactly what he said he would do. And then David moves on. Plea for forgiveness a plea for cleansing, and then in the final part, he goes on with praise for his forgiveness. And listen to this. In verses 14 and 15, it says this, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth Thy what? Praises. Why do you think David was praising God? In the context of the chapter, why was David praising God? Because God was creating a clean heart in him and restoring the joy of salvation. So we see as you, as, you, as you work through Psalms chapter 51, David, at the beginning, he has this weight of sin that's resting upon him. But by the end of Psalms chapter 51, in that prayer, the burden has been what? It's been lifted. You can see it plain as day there in Psalms chapter 51. This is one of the objectives to prayer, that we don't need to carry that burden of sin and that, that, that burden of life on our shoulders, but we can come to God and we can say, Lord, lift this burden off of my shoulders and give me the joy of salvation. How many of you are thankful for that this morning, this afternoon? Praise God. Praise, praise God. 
So let's look at objective number two. Objective number one is for what? For, for guidance. For guidance. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah. No. That's right. Um, that burdens might be lifted. So number two, I was looking at my notes. Number two is what I said it was. I already told you what number two is. Uh, number two, objective number two is for guidance. That's why I uh, got a little mixed up there. Objective number two is for guidance. Have you ever needed to make a big decision in your life? And wished that you could just talk to somebody and ask them, what should I do? And have them audibly tell you, this is what you need to do. You should do this, 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 this. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But the reality of it is we can have that. With an omnipotent God who knows the end from the beginning, he can tell us in our minds and through the study of his word what we ought to do. And that comes through prayer. One of the objectives of prayer is to obtain guidance. Here's our passage that we're memorizing. Jeremiah 33 and verse 3. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. The Bible says to, number, what's the first thing it says to do in the beginning? Call unto me. Now let me ask you a question. When somebody calls you, why are they calling you? Why are they calling you? You know, they want to talk to you. Maybe they got a question or they want some help or something like that. You know, they, they want to have some sort of dialogue with you. That's why they're calling you. And God is saying, call unto me and I will what? How many of you, how many of you on your cell phones, let's be honest now, have gotten a phone call, you look at the caller ID, and you hit silent. And you don't answer the phone call. How many of you have done that? Oh, confession is good for the soul. <laughs> I've done it. I, I've done it a number of times. But that's not how God operates. He doesn't look at the caller ID and say, oh, that's Jason. Boop, I don't want to talk to him. Just let it go to voicemail. I'll deal with it later. He doesn't look at the caller ID and say, oh, that's Jason. I don't have time for this right now, man. I'm dealing with some war over in the Middle East or something like that. Oh, that's Jason. Man, he called me just a couple of minutes ago. I don't have time to talk to him right now. What does he say? Call unto me and I will? That's a promise. That's a promise that you can take to the bank. That God, he says, call unto me, I will answer thee. Now, that's obviously understanding in the context that we have removed the hindrances to prayer that we talked about in the first session. Right? So we're working in the context here. We remove those hindrances, we have access to God. And he promises us that when we call unto him, he will answer us, and then he will show us, he will give us guidance, he will show us great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Now that has many applications. He can give us guidance in the understanding of his word, he can give us guidance in the... Uh, direction that we need to go. He can give us guidance in what we should say at the conversa in the conversation that we're in, or the email that we need to write, or the text message that we need to send. He can give us instantaneous guidance if we call unto him. When, isn't it wonderful that we have that as a reality for us as Christians? 
that we can just pause and say, okay, Lord, you promised, call unto me, I will answer thee, show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Help me right now. And wait, he'll answer that prayer. He'll show you where you need to go, what you need to say, how you need to say it, and all that stuff. One of the earliest experiences in my life of hearing the voice of God happened back in 2003. I was living in England at the time. My mother married somebody from England, and we moved over there. And I had just gotten back from attending a four-month training course in the States. It was December time, and I was home for a little short vacation, a couple-week vacation. I was 23 at the time, and I had just gotten my first position in ministry with Amazing Facts, going into full-time ministry. And I was sitting in my room at home at my desk, and I was reading a book called Letters to Young Lovers. Anybody know who, that, who wrote that book? <laughs> Ellen White. She has practical advice for us young people. It's good if we take the time to read it. I was sitting there at my desk and I was reading Letters to Young Lovers and I had my pen and my ruler out and I was underlining things. And I was praying. Because I understood that my choice of a spouse would make or break my ministry. If I made the wrong decision, that was it. My ministry would be out the window. I wanted to make the right decision or not have it at all. And so I was trying to get as much advice as I could and reading through this and soaking all of this information in. And that night I finished my reading and I was getting ready to go to bed. And I have this little sheepskin rug, at least I did at the time, that I would kneel down on and pray next to my bed. My mother gave me that as a prayer rug. And, and I, I knelt down on that prayer rug, and, and I prayed, and I said, Lord, I give you my love life. Please just lead me to the right person if you have somebody for me. Now, just a couple of weeks before, I had met my wife, her sister, and another friend of theirs. And I'd been thinking, because I noticed there were some good qualities in these three young ladies, and I'd been praying through this. And I prayed and I said, Lord, please just make it clear to me what your will is for me in this area of my life. And as clear as a bell, it wasn't an audible voice, but as clear as a bell, the Lord put in my mind my wife's name, Midori. I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. And so I began to pray because, you know, sometimes as young people, our emotions can get the better of us. And we think we're hearing the voice of God when in reality we're just hearing our emotions. Right? I wasn't about to make a blunder here. I come from a family who's made many, many mistakes in this area and I did not want what they had. So I prayed. I prayed for a long time on this issue. And finally, I got this the clearance from the Lord that this was his will. And the rest is history. I mean, there's more details to it than that. And I'll spare all the details. But as God is my witness, I've been married for eight years and it's been the happiest eight years of my life. Hearing God answer that prayer, having a wonderful godly wife 
to support my ministry and two beautiful children. There is nothing like it, my young friends, to have a relationship with someone who loves the Lord as much as you do. It is worth waiting for to hear God speak to you in that area. This was one of the first times I heard God's voice speaking to me, guiding me. And whenever I'm tempted to do what I want to do instead of what God wants me to do, I think back on this story and I think, boy, if I had done what I wanted to do instead of what God wanted to do, what mess would I be in right now? I praise God that he's here to give us guidance. Psalms chapter 143, verse 8. If you want another text to memorize when you get home, this is it. Psalms 143, verse 8. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness when? When should you pray to the Lord? Specifically in the morning. Daniel did morning, afternoon, and evening. But David here is specifically praying, Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, he says, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. Beautiful passage of Scripture. Well worth the, 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 the brain matter that it will take to retain this passage in your mind. I quote this passage many times in my personal walk with the Lord. And David here is saying, cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. Lord, I don't know. It's like standing before a pole that's got uh, arrows pointing all over the place. And and you're wondering, where do I go? Life is so complicated for young people. Life is so challenging for us. And it's only getting more challenging as a young person with the variety of different choices that are out there for careers and and, and lifestyles and marriage and all kinds of things. David prays, cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. And he's praying this prayer in the morning as he's lifting up his soul to the Lord. I want to know the way that the Lord wants me to walk. I want him to make that path so clear before my eyes that everything else goes out of focus except for that one path before my feet. It happens in the morning. Every morning praying to the Lord. Every day asking him for this. Every morning surrendering your heart to the Lord. Every morning going through and and seeing that there's no objections to God's ability to answer your prayers. Saying, Lord, lead me. Oh, I want to tell you, when the Lord is leading your life, you might question him at times. But when you get to the end of the road, you're going to look back and say, that was the way I needed to go. And you will shudder when you get to the kingdom of heaven. And you think back at what you might have done had you not listened to the voice of God. You will shudder at that idea. And you will sing praises to the Lord that he caused you to know the way wherein you should walk. Wonderful passage of scripture. Well worth the time it takes to memorize. But let's look at a story. Acts chapter 10. What's the second objective to prayer? For guidance. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. I love this passage of Scripture. It's kind of in a sequence of three stories here. 
Acts chapter, uh, I think it's 8, 9, and 10, if I, believe, if I remember correctly. Sequence of three wonderful prayers, three wonderful conversion experiences, three situations where the Holy Spirit is just heavily involved. And in Acts chapter 10, oh, let me put the slide up there. There we go. Acts chapter 10, it's a story of Peter, one that we're familiar with. But let's start at the beginning. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Let's look at this story here. It says this. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. A devout man. A what kind of man? A devout man that what? Listen to this. Listen to this description of this man's character. He was a devout man. He feared God with all his house, uh, which gave much alms to the people. And what's the last part there say? How often? How many of you would like that said about you? He wasn't even a Jew. He was a centurion. He was a Gentile. And the Bible says that he was devout. He feared the Lord with all of his house, which means he ruled his house well. He gave alms to the poor, gave alms to people. And then the Bible says he prayed always. Verse 3. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming in to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. Now, if you read this story in Acts of the Apostles, Ellen White actually tells us that it was well he was in prayer. The Bible kind of insinuates this, but she makes it explicit. It, is well he, it was well he was in prayer. He was praying. That's when the angel came to him and said, Cornelius, how many of you would like an angel to come to you and say, call you by name? Daniel had that in Daniel chapter 9. Gentile here, Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius. Verse, verse 4. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. And he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spoke unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them, and, uh, and waited on him continually. Verse 8, And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to where? Joppa. Did he obey the voice of the angel? You know, I mentioned how many of you would like to have God speak to you and give you audible guidance. We find an example of that here. I mean, this... He's coming and he's talking to him. Now, it doesn't happen very often anymore because we have the word of God that's his spoken word. And if we read it, it is as much as the angel that's speaking to Cornelius here. Amen. So it's the same thing. There's no difference. It's just written instead of audible. So the angel speaks to him and says, send men to Joppa, call for one whose name is Peter. Verse 9, it says, on the morrow as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up on the housetop to... Pray about the sixth hour. So we have at the beginning of the story, who's praying? Cornelius. In the middle of the story, who's praying? Peter. Peter. Now, if you look at the map, 
where Cornelius was and where Joppa is, it was a good trip. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it's a good distance. And, and, and Cornelius evidently had this prayer, you know, a couple of days prior, you know, a good time before Peter is walking up on top of the house to pray. But nonetheless, God is moving in the lives of two men that are separated from each other geographically, and he's speaking to them in their what? In their prayers. So Peter goes up on the, on the housetop to pray, and then the whole scenario happens with the sheet and the animals and God telling them, rise, Peter, kill and eat and all that. And then in verse 19, it says, Well, Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit, what? Said unto him, speaking to him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for what? I have sent him. Sent them. So Peter goes down, and he meets with these guys, and he talks with them, and and, and they said, listen, you know, you need to come with us back to Cornelius' place. He's calling for you. And so Peter listens to the voice of the spirit that tells him to go with these men and not to doubt anything. And in verse 29, the Bible says, therefore came I, this is Peter talking, therefore came I unto you without gainsaying. He's talking to Cornelius. As soon as I was sent for, I asked therefore... For what intent ye have sent for me? So he's saying, why am I here? What are you calling me for? And Cornelius recites the story of the angel coming and talking to him again that we just read about. And then the Bible says this in verse 33. Immediately, therefore, after, this is Cornelius now. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God I hear, uh, to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Now, I won't take the time to go through the rest of it, but simply put, Peter goes through and gives him a gospel presentation. Gentile man who prays to God continually. He gives him a gospel presentation. He tells him about Jesus, and he goes through all of this Wonderful information. And at the end of the chapter, the Bible tells us that Cornelius and all that was in his house were baptized. Isn't that a beautiful story? Two men praying, separated from each other. God guides them. Now, I wonder to myself, what if Peter and Cornelius were men who prayed sporadically? What if they were men who prayed every now and then, here and there, prayed short prayers, prayed written prayers, prayed the same prayers over and over and over and over and over again? What if they were those kind of men that prayed? What would have happened? We don't know, but there's a good chance that Cornelius may have not heard the gospel. But these two men were fervently asking for God's you know, guidance, whatever it was. They were praying and, 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 and talking to the Lord in their prayer. And as they were talking, what did God give them? God gave them guidance. Just like God guided Peter and Cornelius together, even though they were separated, God can guide you to wherever he needs you to go. Whether it's a spouse, whether it's a career, whether it's a choice in a conversation or somebody that he wants you to run across their path as you go throughout the day, God can order your life and give you guidance 
if you spend that time with him as Peter and Cornelius did in the upper room in your closet praying with the Heavenly Father. How many of you think that's a wonderful story? Beautiful story. Pray for guidance. So, objective number two is what? Objective number two to prayer is to pray for guidance. To pray for guidance. When was the last time you heard the voice of God speaking to you in your prayer time? I want you to just think about that. When was the last time that you, you know that God spoke to you in your devotional time? We think that this is something that happens every now and then, but it's something that needs to happen daily. And it can. As we read God's word, he speaks to us in our prayer time with him. Listen, if you are not hearing the voice of God in your devotional time, you need to stop whatever you are doing and plead that he will speak to you in your study of his word. Beg of him. Tell him you want to hear his voice. Now, don't, don't, don't wait for some audible voice, okay, like I'm speaking to you. God speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through his impressions. He speaks to us like that. Plead that God will speak to you. Covet earnestly that experience. And if you do, you will receive the guidance that you need from the word of God. Objective number two is for guidance. Objective number three. The third objective to prayer is for strength to do God's will. Third objective to prayer is for strength to do God's will. Sometimes there are things in our life that are repulsive and difficult that we don't want to do, but the Lord is calling us to do it. Sacrifices that he is wanting us to make. Uh, relationships that he's wanting us to sever, conversations that he wants us to have, places that he wants us to go, whatever it may be. There are things in our life that are challenging and difficult, but God can give us the strength to do his will as we enter into our prayer closet together with him. As we enter into the audience chamber of God, there we will find the strength to perform the will of God. But the opposite is true as well. If we don't enter into the prayer chamber with God each morning, we will not find the guidance that we need and the strength that we need to do the will of God. Are you all following me here? Okay. So we're praying for God to give us strength now to do his will, to take up his cross, to take up the cross and to follow him. Now I want to give you just a quick example of this in the Bible. Matthew chapter 26 verses 36 through 38 and 40 and 41. This is the Garden of Gethsemane again, part of the story that hasn't been talked about so far. It says this, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto them, uh, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then said he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and what? Watch with me. Jesus was telling his disciples to do what? To watch or to pray. We know that. He was telling them to pray. Pray 
Spend some time in prayer here in the Garden of Gethsemane. So the question that I ask is, why did Jesus tell the disciples to watch? Why did Jesus tell the disciples to pray? Why here in the Garden of Gethsemane did Jesus tell them to watch and pray? That's right. The Bible goes on and it says this, And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And he said unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. Jesus was telling his disciples to pray so that they would find the strength to do his will. When the hour of crisis came, when the hour of difficulty came, if they had put the time in prayer, invested in time in prayer, they would have found the strength necessary to resist the temptation that would come their way. Unfortunately, they slept through the whole thing. And Ellen White tells us this in the book Desire of Ages, page 713. She says, it was in sleeping when Jesus bade them watch and pray that Peter had prepared the way for his what? For his what? For his great sin. What prepared the way for his great sin? You know what? Sleeping in in the morning... prepares the way for your great sin in the day. If you sleep away those hours of prayer, that time of prayer, you are no better than Peter. You are preparing the way for the great sin in your life. She says it was in sleeping when Jesus bade them watch and pray that Peter prepared the way for his great sin. All the disciples, by sleeping in that critical hour, sustained a what? A great loss. When they slept, what did they sustain? When you sleep in in the morning and you don't spend that time in Bible study and prayer, you are sustaining a great loss. You're preparing the way for the great sin in your life and you are sustaining a great loss. She goes on. Christ knew the fiery ordeal through which they were to pass. He knew how Satan would work to paralyze their senses that they might not be, that they might be unready for the trial. Therefore, it was that he gave them Warning. Warn them. And he's warning us now. Don't sleep in. Don't sleep those hours away. You need to get a full eight hours of sleep. But don't sleep in in the morning. If your schedule is so busy that you can't get eight hours of sleep, knock something off in the evening, go to bed early, but don't cut off your prayer and Bible study time in the morning. If you do, you're preparing the way for the great sin. You are preparing the way for great loss. It was in sleeping that that happened. She concludes by saying this. Had those hours in the garden been spent in watching and prayer? Let me just say something here real quick. Uh, let's, I don't want to forget this. When we read the story of Gethsemane, we look at the three prayers of Jesus, we think it kind of goes boom, 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 and it's done. But Ellen White makes it very clear that that time in the garden 
That was hours of prayer that was spent. Jesus didn't just pray a few short little prayers and then, you know, all of a sudden had supernatural strength to, you know, take on this trial before him. There were hours invested in prayer in the garden. One wonders if the three short prayers that were written in the Gospels were only the three short prayers that the disciples heard in between their time of sleep. I don't know. But she says it was hours. She says, had those hours in the garden been spent in watching and prayer, Peter would, have, would not have been left to depend upon his own feeble strength. He would not have denied his Lord. He would not have denied his Lord if he had done what? Prayed instead of sleeping. Now, Ellen White tells us, I think it's in the book Desire of Ages, but she tells us that the sleeping disciples are a representation of the sleeping church in the last days, specifically talking about the Garden of Gethsemane. The sleeping disciples are a representation of a sleeping church in the last days. So there's a lot of parallels there. I'll let you unpack that in your devotional time. But she tells us that if he had spent that time in the garden watching and praying, that he would not have denied his Lord. He would not have committed that great sin. We can say the same thing. If we spend that time with the Lord in prayer, seeking guidance, seeking strength to do his will, it will help us not fall into those great sins that we so easily fall into day after day. God kind of gives us guidance to keep us away and to do his will, to keep us away from temptation and to do his will. So objective number three was? Strength to do God's will. Strength to do God's will. Objective number four, our fourth objective to prayer. Interceding for those who have sinned. Do you know anybody in your life who's made foolish choices other than yourself? Do you know of people who persist in the path of rebellion when you know that the Lord is speaking to them some way and somehow? Do you know people like that in your life? Yes or no? I ask you the question, are you praying for them? Now, I'm not talking about the little prayer at the end, so be, Lord, please be with so-and-so, dot, 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 amen, bye-bye. Those are okay when you're in a rush and you don't have the time to expand a little bit more. But I'm talking about agonizing with the Lord to give you that soul for the kingdom of heaven. We had the awesome privilege. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, at a very early age he learned that the power in, this, in the Christian's life is to learn the lesson of how to move the hand of God through prayer. Read the story of Hudson Taylor. Awesome story. The, the guy was amazing. His prayer life was deep. But he understood the concept that the only way that you are going to move the heart of a man is if you pray to the Lord to move upon that heart. Our words don't have life. 
our words are dead. But as we pray for somebody, as we pour out our heart for them, as we ask for the Lord to move upon their life, God will move on their life in a miraculous way as we intercede on their behalf. And he has story after story after story of how he had moved people to conversion, not through the words that he spoke, but through his prayer closet when he prayed together with his father. Oh, that we would, that we would pray more and talk less to those who we know need to give their lives to the Lord. Oh, that we would pray more and talk less for these people. The fourth objective to prayer is intercession. In Exodus chapter 32, there's a story there of the children of Israel's rebellion. Moses had just gotten the Ten Commandments in Mount Sinai. And in the valley, what were the children of Israel doing? They were worshiping the golden calf and having a good time. Doing their pagan worship that they did back in Egypt. And, 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 and Moses comes down and he has the Ten Commandments in his hand. And he takes them and he throws them down in the ground. And he breaks them as a symbolic depiction of their transgression of God's law. And as they're dancing around this golden calf and, 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 and doing all of the ritualistic things that go along with idol worship, Moses, in his anger, throws righteous indignation, throws the Ten Commandments down, breaking them before the people. And God comes to him and he says this in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 10. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. I think if we were honest, and God said that to us, we would say, sure, go right ahead. You want to make of me a great nation? Fine with me. You want to kill them? Go ahead. You're God, you can do whatever you want. But Moses had a burden for souls. He loved the children of Israel. He wanted them to have a relationship with God. And so Moses prays this short little prayer, and he says, And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now if thou, wilt for, uh, if thou wilt forgive their sins, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy books which thou hast written. I don't think any of us here would have the moral integrity to pray a prayer like that if God had said that to us. But he had a burden for souls. He loved the children of Israel so much. He did not want the wrath of God to come upon them and destroy them. And so he prays for God to forgive them of their sins. Are you praying that God will forgive your family members for their sins? Are you praying that God will work on their hearts and bring them into the kingdom of heaven? Pause and think. What would heaven be like 
without your mother there, without your father there, without your grandmother there or grandfather there or your best friend, I think to myself and I shudder what heaven would be like if my wife and two kids were not there. And that drives me to my knees to pray for their salvation, that God would move in their hearts and make himself real to them so that they can be in the kingdom of heaven one day. We don't experience that type of prayer anymore because we're too selfish in our prayer, praying about ourselves and our own desires. But Moses gives us this beautiful example praying for the children of Israel's salvation. Listen to this beautiful quote from Medical Ministry, page 244. I love this quote. It says this, Let the workers grasp the promises of God, saying, we're going to talk about promises of God tomorrow. Thou hast promised, ask and you shall receive. Listen to this. I must have this Soul converted to Jesus. What is the prayer? I must have this soul converted to Jesus. And she says, point to the promise. Ask and you shall receive. She goes on. Select another and still another soul. Daily seeking guidance from God. Laying everything before him in earnest prayer. And working in divine wisdom. As you do this, you will see that God will give the Holy Spirit to convict and the power of truth to convert souls. This is a part of our prayer life that has atrophied so much that it almost doesn't exist anymore. We pray just dot, dot, dot prayers, short little sentence prayers for other people. The majority of the time, we're praying for ourselves. So selfish and narcissistic our prayers have become. But we're opening this up to a new dimension to pray for other people, to plead that God would give us that soul for his kingdom. I praise God in my churches that I serve with such a wonderful group of elders for these good men. Shortly after I got into my district, the head elder in one of my churches, we were talking. We've been visiting our members and there was was a particular person that we were, had a heavy heart for And we were talking about what could we do to make a difference in our church. And one thing led to another. And we we decided that we needed to spend more time together in corporate prayer as leaders in our church. The elders specifically. And so we got a little radical on God. And we decided that we would meet every single morning to pray through through phone conference. We first started off at about 4.30 in the morning, and that didn't last too long. (laughs) But we settled into around 6 o'clock every morning. We would call into this prayer call, and we would pray for our members. There was this one person who weighed heavily on our hearts. We wanted to see them one into the kingdom of heaven for Jesus. 
They had been making choices that just were not good for them. We prayed day after day, week after week, month after month. We went to visit this person. We had terrible visits, angry visits, visits that almost threw us out kind of visits. But we kept praying, God, work on this person's heart. Several months of prayer paid off because that person attends church on a regular basis now. They were on the brink of leaving the church for good. And by God's grace, no glory to us, but by God's grace, we moved that person through that prayer time in the morning. But it took a sacrifice on our part. Because we didn't substitute our personal prayer time for that group prayer time. This was in addition to our personal prayer time. But if we really love souls that much, we will be willing to donate the time to praying that God would move in their lives. In my other church, we started the same thing. We had several people who were living in sin, and the elders wanted to address this. And I said, I will not step foot in their home until we spend several weeks in prayer for these individuals. We prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and by God's grace, every single one of those situations resolved themselves, and God answered those prayers. Listen, God is looking for people that will intercede on the behalf of others. What are we doing? We think that all we need to do is verbally tell people something and everything's going to be okay. No, 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 no. Remember, the, the battleground is in the mind. And after that conversation, we need to pour forth prayers to heaven that God would intercede on the behalf of those people and give them strength and moral integrity to stand up for the truths of God's word. Jesus gave us the example. He tells us, the Bible tells us that Jesus told Peter, I'm praying for you. If Jesus spent time praying for his disciples, how much more should we follow his example and spend time praying for those that are special in our lives? So let's review. Four objectives to prayer that we've seen so far. Objective number one, that burdens might be lifted. Objective number two, four. Guidance. Objective number three, for strength to do God's will. That's right. Objective number four, what? Intercession for others. These are the four objections. Now, again, our objectives. There are other objectives to prayer, but we just take the time to look at four of them very quickly together this afternoon. Four objectives to prayer. Burdens might be lifted for guidance to do God's will, for strength to do God's will, and then to intercede on the behalf of others. Now, tomorrow morning, you don't want to miss tomorrow morning's two presentations. Tomorrow morning's two presentations, I'm going to give you eight simple keys from Scripture of things that you can take from the Bible. They're not my concepts. They're, 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 they're from the Bible. Eight simple keys that you can take and plug into your prayer life to make it more powerful, more meaningful, and more practical in your personal life. Okay, so don't miss those morning two presentations. They are absolutely powerful. And then for our, after, for our evening present, for our afternoon presentation, we're going to look at a deeper prayer life. And we're going to look at something that you're not going to want to miss as well. So how much time do we have? We don't have any time. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and take a couple of minutes. And I want you to get into groups of two and have a very short prayer 
that the Lord will help us to meet these objectives that we've just talked about in our prayer time. Just very quickly, don't make it a long prayer, and then I will close with a final word of prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. So let's go ahead and get into groups of two and spend a few moments in prayer, and then I'll have a closing prayer. Lord, we thank you that you place upon us the responsibility to intercede for others, to find guidance for strength. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this wonderful gift of prayer. Thank you, Lord, that we can move the arm of omnipotence by entering into the prayer closet and opening our hearts before you as we would to a friend. Father, I pray that you would continue to enrich our spiritual walk, that you would enrich our prayer lives. And Lord, I pray that by your grace we can get to the kingdom of heaven one day. And that in panoramic vision, we will see souls won because of the time that we've donated to you in prayer. What a humbling experience that would be. Lord, make it a reality in our lives. Help us, Lord, to pray more and to talk less, to let your spirit do the work instead of trying to do it ourselves. Thank you for my precious friends here who've come to this workshop. Lord, they're here. We're all here because we just want to be better, better in our prayer time with you. Help us to that end, I pray. And bless us, I ask, in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.